0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Icy Takes. You got myself, Big Dave, and on the other end of the webcam is Jeff Chris. Jeff, another week, another Monday, another day of recording for the people of Icy Takes. How are you feeling today? Oh, feeling
1: great, Dave. It is Home Run Derby Monday, one of my favorite times of the year in the baseball yes. calendar. Yes. This is like, yes. is this not like the best because like, Nine times out of ten, I'm a little busy to uh, this year. But in years past, it's just me and my buddies. We get a case of beer, sit down, we throw maybe about ten or twenty bucks on a guy, and you ride that guy all the way through in hopes of winning some cash.
0: That is probably one of the the best things you can do uh, as a collective group of buddies. Just kind of, uh, do you have like eight people watching it, or
1: it's usually probably between like two to five of us it's not like the full derby so like you know there might be one it might be like a wash if like if a guy that doesn't get picked or whatever but we usually have like our favorite everybody has like a favorite player whether it's on your favorite team or not so
0: oh we're gonna have some favorites going at it tonight as well
1: oh yeah some hometown boys for both of us
0: (laughs) exactly exactly so um later on after we get through all the the baseball talk this week we got A little thing, uh, uh, an owner of a team was not happy with an offer made by another team with one of their players on offer sheets. So, you know, we're going to get into that later on. Uh, You know, head coach Mike Sullivan got an extension. We'll talk about that. Our conspiracy theories were squashed after that. (laughs) But Jeff, we we are going to lead it off with a very contrarian man in the man in the game of baseball.
1: I can't wait for this conversation because I know you've just been boiling since the 4th of July about this.
0: And I, really, I shouldn't even be boiling about it, but it just something irked me about all of that. And it was just, I, I think, a waste of time, haha, <laughs> using the words of Thomas Dundon. So <laughs> so we we head back to July 4th where the Pirates are taking on the Chicago Cubs, and the Cubs are, you know, th- this was their breakout inning too. Um, they're they're they got the bases loaded, and um, there were who, who was pitching Jordan Lyles. Jordan Lyles was pitching for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and a lot of his pitches were going in, and they were high and in too. And th- none of the players were getting hit by the Cubs. Some of them were doing their due diligence by actually avoiding it, and some actually and one actually did get hit with Addison Russell. And I think that's maybe how the inning started or. That was a prior inning. I can't remember off the top of my head. Anyway, after a pitch that went high and tight and I forget the batter who avoided it, Joe Madden just starts screaming from the dugout. And mind you, I can't hear anything what the broadcasters are saying because I was currently at the time I was at a Chili's with my parents watching this on the bar TV. So yeah, I'm kind of filling in the blanks in my head as best as I could with what is he even arguing about why is he even out there the i don't even think the ball hit him i thought maybe that's what he was arguing about at first but it looked like joe madden was yelling at clint hurdle the manager of the pirates and it, he was yelling at clint hurdle and this was just a you know how how to word it the Those kids are on my lawn. I saw them on there. You better not bring your kids back there. And Clint Hurdle is is the dad to these kids who just is just standing there, like, what the hell is this old guy talking about on the other side of the field in front of his dugout? Meanwhile, Joe Madden's trying to put a spin move on Chris Bryant to get around him to try to attack uh, Clint Hurdle. Joe West gets in front of him. Joe Madden put his hands on the umpire, Joe West, and I'm surprised that nothing's come out with that. I think that was. After that, immediately got the ejection from Joe West, but though the way that all of that broke down, and I'll, I want you to talk about this a little bit too before I keep breaking what this guy does down. Um, all of that just seemed to be uh, much ado about nothing, until the next day when after the Cubbies already won eleven to three that game, I think that was what the score was, and the next day Joe Madden comes up and says. You know, it's it's an industry wide concept that the pirates throw up and in, and I was and I had it like it's basically calling it bullshit that the pirates throw up and in like that all the time, and that he was just tired of it. So before I get into my thing, Jeff, did you watch any of that game, or did you hear about the comments that he made the next day?
1: So unfortunately, I did not. I went up to my uh, my aunt and uncle's trailer on uh, July fourth, so I didn't see any of the July 4th games. I was kind of just going through Twitter, and uh, I did see what happened, and and when I first watched the video, it looked more like Joe Madden was yelling at Joe West to kind of get to reel everybody in, almost kind of like one of those, like, how many times are you going to let him pitch high and in like that until he gets a warning or something before somebody gets hurt? And then they kind of go to that shot behind the visitor dugout where you can kind of see the Pirates dugout where Clint Hurdle... Is like stands or sits or wherever he's at in the dugout, and you see him come out of the dugout, and you know now it's pretty clear Joe Madden's attention is to Clint Hurdle. Um As far as what it, it what it looked like, it looked like Joe Madden was trying to. I, I I honestly don't know what his whole purpose there was to be honest with you because like if he's yelling at the umpire, okay, I get it. Like you're you're t- you're trying to get an advantage of you know, what are we going to do about this guy that continually pitches high and in, and they're pretty dangerous pitches near the hands, near the head, you know, are you going to do something about this? But he's not yelling at Joe West. He's yelling at Clint Hurdle, and what – I just don't get what his his purpose there is of yelling at Clint Hurdle, what, to tell your pitcher to quit pitching inside, because if your guys don't like getting pitched inside, why am I telling my pitchers to to pitch at? Inside. So, I – I just didn't get his whole – the the hill he was standing on, more or less.
0: Looking at teams that get hit by the most pitches, and I knew this was a really a hot topic a couple years ago for the Pirates, but if you go back to 2017, the Pirates led the league by getting hit by the most pitches per game in 2016 – the Cubs led the league, and right right behind them was Pittsburgh. And in 2017, the Cubs were in second place, right behind Pittsburgh. In 2015, it's your boys, the Pittsburgh Pirates, leading the way, getting hit by the most pitches in 2015. In 2014, number two is the Pittsburgh Pirates. In 2013, the Pirates lead as well. This was a team that's always been hit constantly, and you know this is this kind of goes back to the the boiling blood that you have had as well when. Ah, uh, Kevin Gosman got thrown out for you know missing uh, Juan Urania or Jose Urania. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, when it's not really that we there, you're looking to hit those players at all. First, I just think Jordan Lyles really isn't that great of a pitcher, and coming off IL, I think he was just missing his spots a lot. I don't think that was well intended. Some of those pitches were near their heads. And you don't go for the head. And if multiple pitchers are going out there, do you think he's purposely throwing up and in like that?
1: But it, I think here's where Joe Mann's um, kind of where he's coming from, though, is that if it's visibly obvious that this guy doesn't have it, is that not the umpire's discretion to be like, hey, you know, either you get it together here or I'm going to have to toss you because somebody's going to get hurt here.
0: I want to say that Joe West, the umpire, was probably set in his head that the moment one player gets hit, he'll send out the warnings. Now, I don't think that actually happened when the first player got hit because I believe Jordan Lyles did hit a player. And it looked like Addison Russell was holding back and just decided to walk on to first, which that you do that, which you hold back and will go to first, or you charge the mountain. You do one of the other. So it looked like Addison Russell did his... Did what he had to do, just wanted to take it. He was holding back and just went to first base. Later on, Clay Holmes comes into the game to relieve Jordan Lyles. Clay Holmes hit somebody in the head. There was still no bad blood there because Joe Madden was already out of the game. And once again, it shows you that a, a very not good pitcher is out there just throwing and just miss missed a pitch. Like, there was no ill will to go after these Cubs players. The Pirates won the first three games. I don't know why you're trying to go after them that game after that. It was just – it seemed like Joe Madden was just angry for no reason. Just old man yells at Sky kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I put a little bit on Joe West, though, as as the umpire. And and when, when I say Joe West maybe takes it in his own hands and throws out Jordan Lyles, it's not necessarily like – something Lyle's did wrong. It's more or less like you clearly don't have it. Your manager's not taking you out. So to just kind of put water on the fire, just get out of here. We'll get a new pitcher in here. You clearly don't have it today. And I, I think that's where Joe, Joe Madden's more looking at is, you know, the high price talent that that lineup has, if you, if if a pitch hits you in the wrong spot in the hand or, um, you know, God forbid somebody gets hit in the head or something or in a knee or wherever. I mean, there's a lot, a lot that can happen with them, with a pitcher that doesn't have it that day, especially throwing it, it in the nineties or even the low eighties. You know, we, we make that sound like it's soft, but it's still a hard pitch on a lot of bone. Uh, we saw it happen with Acuna last year when he got drilled in the hand, he was almost out for, for two weeks, I believe. I think he was on the 15 day DL. So I think that's the the person that we're we need to blame more than anybody is Joe West that he just didn't take control of it and say you know what you just don't have it today just get out of here take take the rest of the day or even Clint Hurdle at that matter maybe Clint Hurdle needs to look at race Sears and say hey who do we have down in the bullpen that can fill some innings because this guy just doesn't have it and we're gonna make a bad situation worse if we if he ends up hitting a guy in the head or in the hand.
0: At what point do you? Th- think as a manager or an umpire that you have to make that decision because i think this was i think i believe the fourth inning when all this was completely un- unfolding
1: so i think once you get like multiple pitches that are near the head or near the hands like very far invisibly not hitting your spots i think you you have to look at yourself yourself as the umpire and say Okay, what happens if one of these gets slip and does hit somebody in the head? You got a guy that's going to be out with a concussion. Probably, probably even worse. We we saw that in Atlanta with Sean Newcomb. He took a ball off the head. Granted, he didn't have a helmet on, but he he was still out for a while. I don't think he's even returned yet from that from that injury off a battered ball that went off his head. But.
0: Well, that's—I mean, what I mean, we're that's, talking about—that's a different I, s- scenario. I, I get
1: that. I get that's different, but but it's still it's still a, a baseball going to somebody's head. It doesn't matter right. if you're wearing a helmet or not. But but that—that's my point. Is wouldn't you rather nip it in the butt right away and say we're going to avoid anybody getting hit in the head or have a broken hand or a broken forearm or anything and just say you know what, just you're done, get out of here. You guys get a new pitcher. He has all the time to warm up and everything, but we're just going to keep this on the safe side before somebody gets seriously hurt out here.
0: Do you think at this rate then when one player gets hit by a baseball, whether it's um, intentional or unintentional, that the the pitcher's just going to get thrown out immediately?
1: I don't think so. No. Cause I think there's a difference. I think, especially at that level, you're able to tell when a guy just doesn't have it. And there's a difference between a guy just not having it. And for an example, if, if, if like Dallas Keichel misses on a cutter and it just goes a little bit too far in, it's like, okay, he just missed on that, on that one cutter, but he's been hitting that spot all day. So I, I, think there, I think at that level, you're able to tell the difference between a guy that just doesn't have his arm slot that day and a guy that just maybe went a little bit too far in.
0: But I also think that's another reason why Joe West didn't do anything about it. And not that he's not trying to prevent injury. is that he knew that Jordan Lyles just couldn't hit his spots. The The players in the box are doing their, their due diligence to actually avoid the pitch if they want to stand in there and either not take a pitch and get the free base or look to do something with the baseball and maybe get extra bases or a couple runs out of it.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's just such a touchy subject. And... I, I, I honestly don't know what the correct answer is here. I think it's such a gray area for, for all the parties involved. You obviously have Joe Madden that's upset that his guys are getting pitch high in. Um, you have Clint Hurdle who's got a pitcher on the mound that can't hit his spots. He's got the bases loaded because he can't hit his spots. And you got Joe West that's trying to kind of manage both sides and, you know, kind of keep it down the middle. And, you know, unfortunately it blew up a little bit, but it didn't – and Joe, Joe West, um defense it didn't explode on them it it kind of boiled over a little bit but nothing really exploded or anything it's not like the benches cleared or anything
0: right so I think the 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 entire time the situation was calmed down even after another pitcher came in to relieve Lyles and a player did get hit in the head after that and there was still no ill will on the field there was clearly pitchers couldn't hit their spots against the the cubbies that day and you know the scoreboard showed at 11 to 3 as the final score
1: yeah, right. So I mean, so it 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 seemed like cooler heads finally prevailed. And um, I don't know, maybe Joe Madden just wanted to get his 4th of July going early that day and kind of made it up in his mind that he was going to go after Clint Hurdle and get tossed and have a hot dog by I don't know what time the game start 405. So by six o'clock, he was able to have a hot dog.
0: I can't tell you how excited I am about this weekend as a Pirates fan, at least. To open up the second, the unofficial second half start of the season against the Chicago Cubs in Wrigley Field.
1: Who start? Who starts that uh, that first game for Chicago? Do you know?
0: I would have to look it up, but um, I like I said, I I can't tell you how really excited I am for this upcoming series. I mean, you look at the last series that the Pirates had. A little, we're gonna do a little tangent here before we get into our 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 next. Subject, but the pirates have played well. And for the past, I think five years, they've gone into the all-star break with a five and two or better record in their last seven games um, or last seven or eight games heading into the all-star break. So they were able to take the first three against the Cubs. And, you know, it was just, it was nice to see as a pirates fan, those games be taken care of, or at least get majority of those games. Cause it has been a little bit rough
1: yeah to take it would you guys take three out of four from the Cubs in that series? yep
0: the first three
1: and you guys hit the ball pretty well and, you, and the offense seems to be coming around for the pirates, so um kind of tough luck to have the the all star game hit when it does. It seems like it always hits in the wrong time for the for the pirates but uh but yeah, you guys are definitely hitting the ball well, and you know as close as that central is, as long as you keep playing consistent baseball, that division's completely up for grabs.
0: Well, you introduce the next topic while I try to find out who is uh, pitching that. Do- so well, actually, I, I, got, I got, the starter I the I might have found you. it. Nope, I got it. Oh, all right.
1: I do have it. It's okay. uh, you you Dar- Darvish.
0: Okay. All right. Now that's taken care of. And there's still no announced pitcher for the Pirates because everybody gets hurt on that team in that rotation. So,
1: well, then half of baseball hasn't announced their their starters for Thursday or Friday.
0: yet. Well, Joe Madden doesn't mess around.
1: No, Joe, Joe Madden and you Darvish after you guys. So look out.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Well, he can't hit a strike zone either. So
1: <laughs> that'll be his excuse.
0: Exactly. All right. So, so let's get into a oh uh, let's ask the question out there. Do you what do you think about the whole Joe Madden thing? Did he go out of line? Was he completely within his line? Was Jordan Lyles just terrible that day? Let us know on Facebook or Twitter, um, at Icy Takes, I C E Y Takes, um on the Twitter, at Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave on the Facebook. Jeff, you mentioned it earlier. It's dinger derby day, and we got a little bit of a challenge for us and everybody else can play along as well
1: yeah so we so like you said dinger derby day you know no no free uh no free ads for for anybody out there that includes major league baseball um so for the dinger derby uh do how do we want to do this you want to go through the whole bracket uh matchup by matchup or do we want to dive right into to the main event for for this podcast at least
0: well let's just do the matchup by matchup and then we'll uh we'll save that one for last in the first round
1: okay sounds good sounds good so uh so one through eight in the uh, in the Dinger Derby and uh, uh, the one eight matchup to start out is Matt Chapman not Christian Yelich who bowed out I believe that was announced yesterday.
0: Yeah, due it was a to back a back injury,
1: back spasm injury. It's it looks like he's still going to play in the All Star game but not compete in the Dinger Derby. And uh, Matt Chapman will be going against Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Dave, who you got in this matchup?
0: I got your prediction for rookie of the year before the season started. Give me Vladdy Guerrero Jr. This dude, when he gets a hold of one, can completely pimp one out. And you got both right-handers here who have to deal with a higher wall out in left field. But I think Guerrero Jr. at 20 years old is just looking to be hungry out there in in his first season as a rookie and get out there and just dominate the field.
1: Yeah, I, I like Vladdy here too. Uh, I picked him as well. Um, I I just like him because he, you know he's got a little bit more weight to put behind the ball. I I feel like he's going to be able to lift the ball over the over the um, over the big you know mini monster. I guess we can call it in Cleveland. Um, and I, I I don't know. It's it's just hard for me to pick a guy like Matt Chapman. Um, he it, it, when you just like look at him, he doesn't have that build of a of a home run hitter and i mean vladdy guerrero just looks like a guy that that, that can just hit home runs and that's kind of what i'm looking for for an eye test is guys that just have that raw power and just make it look so effortless and um i think vladdy's gonna, gonna be able to do that in
0: Cleveland. Uh, well if you remember i forget how uh, was it 2014 no 2013 michael kadiar won the home run derby now it was a different format back then but he was the dude that was picked up for Pedro Alvarez. And I thought that dude was going to get smoked. And I think Kadair ended up winning it that year. If not, he, he got second.
1: Yeah, that was, I believe, in um, in New York, right? Yeah. At, uh, right when City Field opened? If I'm... Uh,
0: 2013.
1: 2013. So it was a couple years later. But, um, yeah, sometimes the eye test can fail you. But I, I think in at least this matchup, um, I think Vladdy's going to – gonna take uh, take home a first round one.
0: All right, what's up next?
1: Next up is your four or five matchup, Alex Bregman of the Houston Astros and Jock Peterson from the LA Dodgers.
0: I really like Bregman in this. I think last because of the way he lost last year, he's gonna be look to looking to get revenge essentially. Now this is a righty lefty matchup, so I think the the it favors Jock Peterson more, but Alex Bregman was crushing the ball earlier this year. And, uh, what from the stories I heard on ESPN is that he was getting mad at himself for hitting too many home runs because of how frequently he was hitting them. And he was looking to, to, um, to hit more line drives and keep the inning, keep the inning going, keep base runners on base and look to produce more like that. So I can see Alex Bregman putting on a show, especially in that first round.
1: So I'm going to take the, uh, the lefty in this one, I'm going to take Jock Peterson. Um, I think Alex Bregman's going to have, eh, I don't want to say a tough time because he does have a big, wall, big wall to deal with in Houston at um, at his home ballpark. But I just like Jock Peterson. I, I, I kind of want to. Th- I, I, I honestly don't know. I don't know why I like Jock Peterson. I, I just do, and I, I, I think mostly because. He, he's the one lefty I think that's going to be able to take advantage of being able to pull the ball as well as he does.
0: I also think that Jacques Peterson will hit the longest home run of the night. So there's my little um, alley-oop right there.
1: Yeah. I think we both agreed on, on that um, before we got on the air here that uh, we both thought Jacques Peterson would hit a mammoth of a home run.
0: All right. We finally disagreed. What's up next?
1: Uh, two-seven matchup. Um, your rookie of the year pick. Uh, Pete Alonso, he has 30 home runs on the year, uh, going against the hometown kid Carlos Santana as the number seven seed. Dave, who you got?
0: This this killed me to pick this, but I I cannot doubt the hometown crowd and what that does for a player. So give me Carlos Santana with the upset in the first round against Pete Alonso. I think PD will look to be going the extra mile like Guerrero Jr., but he might get under a couple few early on and try to make up for that later on and i'm saying later on a lot but i think carlos santana will be able to use that right field wall to his power and look to dominate at least past the first round
1: i'm gonna go opposite with you here i'm gonna go with your boy pete alonzo um i just think this guy just has so much raw power and i don't know if i don't for some reason, Carlos Santana just doesn't stick out for me. I just don't. It's one thing when it's like Bryce Harper, who's used to being in the spotlight, um, like he was last year in DC, and he ended up winning the whole thing. But uh, for Carlos Santana, a guy that's not used to being in the spotlight, um, I'm gonna go with Pete Alonso, who's gonna shine in this thing, and um, I think he's gonna win uh, pretty handily. I think he might hit the most home runs in this thing too.
0: Okay. All right. I, I respect that. Now, like I said, it killed me to do that, but like I said, Michael Kadire did it. Um, I mean, I, like I believe he won. I'm going to look that up while you introduce the next matchup. But Bryce Harper won in his hometown last year, so I'm not saying Carlos Santana's going to win it, but he'll at least get past the first round. What's up next?
1: Next one is our 3-6 matchup, and for Icy Takes, this is our main event. This is This couldn't have worked out any better for the podcast. You got Josh Bell, who has 27 home runs on the year for Dave's Pittsburgh Pirates, going against the Phenom, the big the big dog down in Atlanta right now, Ronald Acuna Jr. 21 home runs on the year, um, reigning Rookie of the Year as well. Um, I think it's pretty easy to say who each of us have. I have Acuna, Dave. Who you got, it. Acuna? Yeah, I'm sure
0: you do. Oh, Jeffy boy, this is this is so funny. This is this, honestly this is the I think the highlight. Not only for us, but I think it's the best matchup in the first round. I think it's the most th- even matchup as well, and it's going to be the most fun.
1: I, I I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you you got you got a guy in Josh Bell who's just your your typical cleanup hitter that that just matches home runs, and he's kind of like the focal point of it of the uh, of the Pirates lineup. And you got a guy like Acuna who's a little bit of a different type of a home run hitter. He's, he's a leadoff guy. He kind of sets the table for everybody behind him, but he's surrounded by so much great talent in that lineup that he's able to get, you know, pitches right away and he jumps on first pitches a lot. So it's going to be interesting to see um, what his approach is and how quick does he jump on the ball um, when, when he's in that spotlight where he's on pretty much by himself out there with this, with uh, with this pitcher, I believe uh, Tony Perez, or Thomas Perez, I'm going to say, for the Braves. He's, the, uh, he's like the BP pitcher for, for Atlanta. He pitched to Freddie Freeman last year. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how uh, Acuna kind of, his approach to this whole thing. I, it, it's going to be interesting if he sits on something or if he, if he comes out swinging right away.
0: Uh, by the way, Michael Goddard did not win. He got past the first round but couldn't make it to the final. It was Johannes Espinosa that won that year.
1: Oh, Didn't he get traded to uh to the Mets later that summer?
0: Uh, maybe I I kind of forget, but he was a Rocky at the time. So uh,
1: okay, all
0: right. Okay. But anyway, we got uh. By the way, I have Josh Bell winning this. Obviously,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that we that we got that covered. Um, Jeff was not picking for me, but yeah, I got Josh Bell winning this, and he's calling upon a a friend and a lifelong minor leaguer to throw to him. I just can't find the name right now because the article is not loading. But uh, it, it seems like a guy who's, who's got a good connection with Josh Bell from what I uh, remember hearing from the the Pirate broadcast and all that. And I just think this is this is the year that Josh Bell has really broken out. And this is the year that he even breaks out even more during this home run derby. And I think Josh Bell takes it by two home runs against Acuna. And this will be the most... here. This will be the most home runs hit in any round. Oh. Oh. Okay. So. Do you mean combined or by one player? Combined.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: All right. So. Okay. Semifinals.
1: All right. Semifinals. Let's move on here. So I have, Vlad Guerrero Jr. at the number eight seed, and Jock Peterson at, at uh, the number five seed. Who do you got?
0: I got Vladdy Guerrero Jr. and Alex Bregman, the four seed.
1: Oh, okay, okay. I got Jock Peterson moving on. I think this kid is um, – I think that's where the uh, the lefty-righty matchup is definitely going to hold back Vladdy Guerrero. I think um, Jock Peterson is just going to take advantage of right field a ton, and um, I, I, I think that's going to end up being the difference.
0: I think – in my matchup, Alex Bregman comes up short yet again because Vladdy Guerrero Jr., the young 20 year old phenom, will be crushing baseballs like it's no one's business. I think in this round, if Vladdy Guerrero Jr. gets that far, he'll hit one over 500 feet.
1: Oh, okay. All right. All right. And I'm then just on the other,
0: these predictions, like you are.
1: You're dropping like prop bets like crazy. And I kind of <laughs> like it. Uh,
0: next.
1: next, I have Pete Alonso and Ronald Acuna Jr. Thank you. Thanks for coming.
0: All right, I got Carlos Santana and your boy, ring it, Josh Bell.
1: Oh, I thought you were talking about my boy, Ronald Acuna. No, um, no. I got, uh, <laughs> as it would, be, it would be any different, a Braves-Mets matchup. Who's going to win this thing? It's obviously going to be the Atlanta Braves people. Ronald Acuna is just going to take balls the other way. He has tremendous power going the other way, that he can avoid that, uh, that massive left field wall. Um, And I think Pete Alonzo is just going to be pull city, pull city, pull city. And um, I think he's going to have problems with that left field wall.
0: Josh Bell beats up on Carlos Santana in this second round. I think I'm thinking an average of 16 home runs per round for Josh Bell. I think he gets gets a 16er right here. And this round beats up on Carlos Santana by about four.
1: Okay, okay, okay. And that's so, only
0: if Josh Bell goes first. Because if he beats Carlos Santana, he's not going to continue swinging.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, you're done once, you, once you've surpassed your opponent's total.
0: Right. So um, so if it does play out that way, yeah, it'll be like a 16-12 to 12 matchup.
1: All right. So round, round three, I have Jock Peterson and Ronald Acuna Jr. Thank you. And you have?
0: I have Vladdy Guerrero Jr. and Josh Bell.
1: Alright, and who, who are you taking? Ring it, baby.
0: Oh. Ring it. Ring the bell for Josh Bell. This dude is going to be putting on a show. He'll put up one dead center field at one point in this final round. Nipping 500, but come up short. And he's just going to... If there was a lake out there in, within that stadium, he he would reach it like he did in, in the Allegheny twice in the same week.
1: Oh, okay. All right. All right. I hear you. Um, pretty obvious who I'm going to go with here. It's clearly going to be Ronald Acuña Jr. Um, this kid's just got power through all all fields. Um, he can take the ball the other way and hit it with power. He can pull the ball like crazy. Um, I just think this this kid is just so good in the spotlight. You saw it in the NLDS last year. Um, not a whole lot really phases him. Um. So I th- I think this is going to be his time to shine and become an uh, even bigger national name than what he is right now.
0: Boy, isn't this going to be hilarious when Matt Chapman wins it all?
1: <laughs> right, Matt Chapman wins it, or like uh, Carlos Santana or something stupid like that. So um, real quick, do we want to put a wager on that Josh Bell, Ronald Acuna first-round matchup?
0: All right, what are we thinking?
1: I don't know. Why don't we do like a... Uh, hmm.
0: What do you think? Twelve pack?
1: Twelve pack of beer of choosing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like that. We'll get together and we'll uh maybe we'll watch some baseball one night. We'll do some video content or something where we watch like MLB tonight or something, where we watch games all over baseball and someone's gotta supply the 12 pack.
0: Yeah, exactly. We we get to split it, but someone has to supply it.
1: Right, exactly. Exactly. All right. So there we go.
0: All right, um that's it. And you'll be able to find out or make fun of how bad our predictions on because this Herman Derby is going to be on starting in around like two hours.
1: Yeah, so there you go. I have it recorded. I have a, a, uh, a uh, youth hockey practice I have to go to, so I'll be taking care of those kids for about an hour, and then uh, we'll get back, and hopefully uh, hopefully, the boys have not hit yet, and we'll have something to trash talk about.
0: you got to let me know when you're back so I don't uh, prematurely text you.
1: Okay, we will do.
0: So you don't want me to tell you anything that happened before, right?
1: Um as long as it's not Bell and Acuña, I really really don't care that much.
0: So, all right. All right, sounds good.
1: So, all right. All right. So, uh we have one more thing for baseball and then we get a hockey, right? Yep. Okay, so as we hit the halfway point of the baseball season, um the unofficial halfway point, I guess. Um Dave, my my one question to you and this is probably the most lazy uh question to ask in sports talk is as we've hit the the midway point who is your most surprising team good or bad in um in baseball right now
0: so i'm just gonna keep it good right now and this it's kind of a team that i i don't think gets that much attention and especially in the division that they are in right now but let's let's give a round of applause to the texas rangers for how well they've played this year at 48 and 42. This is a team that I, I, if I went back to the archives, I might've picked this team to finish last place in the division. And then again, I did pick the angels to make a wild card. So, but they're not completely out of it, but, but by any means, I think the Texas Rangers have really showed uh, some, some consistency in their play this year, especially uh, around early May, like for about two months. So after that first month, uh, you know, kinda getting the rust off the wheels, they've they've been playing pretty well. They are nine games back of first because of Houston. But if you were to look at the, the wild card situation, they are basically right there in it. They are, I believe, the the second team or the first team out um at two games or a game and a half behind the the wild card. So, um I, I think this this Texas Rangers team if if the if the moves are right, this off this trade deadline, look for them to make that surprising comeback.
1: Okay, all right, I'll, I kind of like that one. Um, I got a good and a bad. My first good is going to be the Cincinnati Reds, your divisional rivals. Um, this is a team that it seemed like they were kind of in rebuilding mode. They brought in a couple names. Um, they brought in Yasiel Puig this year. Um, they also brought in a guy, Sonny Gray, to help out the pitching staff a little bit. And it seemed like they would be improved. Um, but I, I, I think, again, if we go back to the archives, I had them finishing dead last in the division. So um, I think with them, uh, to stay in the hunt, they're only four and a half out. So, again, they're still in kind of the position where if they can play consistently good baseball with the way the rest of the division's going, um, they're still very much in the hunt. Um, it's just very surprising that that with that whole NL central, that a uh, 41 and 46 record is only four and a half games out of, out of first place. So um, the Cincinnati Reds have been a pleasant surprise to keep that whole division close because usually every division has that one team that's nowhere near being, uh, being close to first place and for them to kind of tread water and still be around uh, before deadline time. It's um, they're kind of in an interesting spot Uh, along with the, uh, along with the Pirates on do, do you buy or do you sell at this time because you only have one deadline to work with this year.
0: Yeah, and not to get too much into that, but I kind of hope that the Pirates really don't make any moves because of what happened last year. I think the, a lot of, a lot of the, the future got mortgaged off for a tailspin. So that's just my, my reaction right now.
1: Okay, all right. So um my bad that has been very surprising. Um I would say the Boston Red Sox have to be a surprise, right? Um being 9 games out of out of first place behind the New York Yankees. Um, I know they had a rough start to start the uh start the season with um how long they were on the road and everything, but um it's just surprising. You you watch them when they were in London and it just seems like their pitching just isn't there this year. They're they're having constant bullpen problems. Um, they're probably, again, they're probably my biggest surprise of a team that's, um, that really hasn't gone themselves together. And I was reading an article today that they're looking to add to their, uh, to their rotation at, for the deadline. So they still feel that they're very much in it. Um, I guess they're still contending for a wild card. They're only two games out behind um, Tampa Bay and Cleveland. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think they're just a very disappointing ball clubber.
0: No, no, I completely I agree with what you're saying, especially that beginning of the year uh, hindered them. They started, I believe, 3 and 11 somewhere in that range, so really hard to recover after that, but they've been doing a, as good of a job as you can do starting off that poorly. If I were to pick a another, you no, know, a, a, a disappointing team, I'd had to give it to the Philadelphia Phillies, especially how they've been playing recently you look at run differential i think can be a huge thing especially when coming down in the stretch with how you win games so you look at what the philadelphia phillies have right now and their run differential for the entire year is plus 2 with, that, with what people consider to be the best lineup heading into the regular season wouldn't you agree absolutely and so, especially how
1: they they hit the Braves too and uh in that first series in philadelphia too i mean it just seemed like they were they were the 2070 Yankees all over again.
0: So I mean, this is a team that has really fallen off. They've kind of played opposite of the Boston Red Sox. Had a great start to the year, and then have just been just sinking. So they're currently third in the division, 47 and 43, six and a half back of your boys up there or down there in Georgia. So they're and their expected win loss is actually worse than what their actual record is. It should be. 45 and 45 compared to their 47 and 43 record.
1: So here's something interesting since you just brought up the Philadelphia Phillies home record, 27 and 17, right? That's, it's actually pretty good. That's pretty average to be, you know, within a game or two on your, on your home record, um, about, about 10 games, right? You expect to win about 10 more games at home than you do on, on um, then lose. Yeah. On, on the road, they're 20 and 26 on that flip. That is, that's not good.
0: No, you can't have, it can't be that bad. You cannot have a losing record on the road trying to, to make the playoffs. You, and you, I mean, you can't. I mean, you got the, you got teams like the Cubs at 18 and 27, the Brewers at 20 and 26, the Cardinals at 20 and 26, who are all really in the thick of it. Then that really hinders a team trying to make the playoffs.
1: Right. And I mean, Unless unless you're the LA Dodgers and you're 37 and 12 at home, then you can like afford to be around 500 on the road. But even look look at like the Atlanta Braves, you're 28 and 19 at home, but they're 26 and 18 on the road. So it's very much an even play no matter where they're playing. That they feel that they have they have an opportunity to win a ball game there. So, um, I I I agree with you. The Philadelphia Phillies are a very disappointing team, and with the amount of money that they spend in the offseason – um, you, you figure they're going to have to be, uh, in the hunt for, to be adding maybe an arm or two, because, um, th- you know, that run differential is not good. That puts them in the same category as teams like St. Louis, Colorado. Um, it, it, it's just not good. and It's not acceptable for the Phillies.
0: All right. Before we head over to hockey, let's look at the standings and look at the teams that are in first place. And my question to you is. Of the six that are currently in first place, how many of those teams win how many of those teams win their division
1: uh let me see here well Atlanta's gonna win the division. I'm gonna say that I think they're gonna cruise to that. I don't think Washington or philadelphia can can outlast a fight between each other to stay stay relevant um, to to surpass atlanta um, I'm gonna say. The Cubs won't hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here and say the St. Louis Cardinals win the NL, the NL Central.
0: I like that pick.
1: At, at two back. And, and just for the sole purpose of, because I remember when I used to work for the Pirates, that the St. Louis Cardinals are the most annoying team ever because you, they, they'll have a guy like, for an example, when Adam Wainwright was like on top of his game, he would get hurt. And you're like, oh, thank God, we're missing Wainwright on this trip. They're calling up some guy from AAA. We should hit him pretty well. That gives, give us, gives us at least one game that we should win. And then some kid from AAA that ends up throwing, throwing his heart out and th- throws like eight innings, a two-hit ball. So like, it's classic St. Louis that they, that they just have the organizational depth to be able to go in and um, stay in this hunt. And I, I just think that they're going to end up winning this division.
0: All right, so what would be a rounded number for you to say teams that are currently in the lead will win their division by the end of the year?
1: I think out of the six, I'm going to go five of the six. I okay. mean, some, some of these margins are absurd. Like, I don't see anybody catching the Yankees. Um, maybe Cleveland catches Minnesota. I think that might be the only close race in the, um, in the American League. But uh, I think Houston runs away with the West. The Yankees run away with the East. Um, LA is going to run away with the West in the, in the National League. And I think Atlanta is going to run away with the East. So I think the two centrals are going to be your two, uh, two close ones.
0: I think I'm going to completely agree with you on the amount of teams. Five out of six. I do think that the Braves have put themselves in a position that they cannot lose the division. Never said they won't, but they or cannot. I guess it's the same way, but let's see if they can finish it out. Because 2011 was a rough year for you.
1: Yeah, I don't want to talk about it.
0: So, but I'm going to say the Milwaukee Brewers go back to back as uh, Central champs. Mm, I think okay. they they still have the the bats to kind of propel that pitching staff, which I think is middle of the road, but a little higher, a little above average at most times. And they find themselves getting above the Cubs and keeping their ground there, um, atop of the Central. Okay, da- all right. Dodgers win, Braves win, Houston wins, Minnesota wins, Yankees win.
1: The Yankees win.
0: <laughs> yeah. So all those all those teams they they win their division.
1: So all right. So uh, oh, uh, one last thing. I'm going to throw this out here since we're doing the most surprising team or whatever. Most comedic team of the year goes to the New York Mets
0: absolutely
1: and i mean i don't i I guess another story came out we'll look at that another day but um just every 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 day it seems like something's coming out of uh out of the out of queens new york uh, about the new york metropolitans and i i just laugh every day
0: you even give them the full name it's it's kind of funny it's uh, it's kind kind of like
1: when you're when you're in trouble when you're in trouble when you're a little kid and your mom uses your full name you're like oh boy i'm in trouble (laughs)
0: so all right that 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 about does it for baseball talk let's switch gears over to hockey talk because there is a little bit to talk about not too much all right so what do you want to kick
1: off with you want to start off with the signing or the guy that's complaining about a signing
0: oh the guy that complains about a signing first off so um Sebastian Hill was on offer sheets, which basically means that, Jeff, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that any team can put in an offer for this player, and the Hurricanes have seven days to match that offer. Am I right or am I wrong?
1: Correct, and depending on how much they offer is how many draft picks you have to give up.
0: So the Montreal Canadiens, as referenced by the score, shocked the hockey world on last Monday after we did our show, or actually during the show, when they signed Carolina Hurricanes Restricted Free Agent forward Sebastian Aho to a five-year $42.27 million offer sheet. the And this was the first time anyone that's been signed on an offer sheet since 2013 in the NHL. So the, the Hurricanes owner, Thomas Dundon, said Tuesday, while his club will match the offer sheet, it, um, it will be apparently more of a nuisance than an actual obstacle. And quoting Dundon saying everyone's trying to make their team better. We've looked at all the ways to do that. Never came to the conclusion that the offer sheet was the best way. Your probability of succeeding is almost zero. And it was proven that it was a waste of time. Um, Only one offer sheet, Dustin Penner in 07 hasn't been matched since 1997. So Aho now at an 8.454 million dollar cap hit um, was, and you know, I I'm actually surprised with not how much money that he was expected to get, but how much money he's getting in the economy that the NHL is is in compared to other sports. Um, he'll be looking to you know make that cap of eight point four five four. But you know you got Thomas Dundon who goes on later saying this sounds terrible, but writing that check is no big deal. Um, the fact that your Canadian media is a- asking me if twenty million is a lot might be how we got into this situation. So, Jeff, Thomas Dundon, not really happy about the Montreal Canadiens just putting in this offer. What do you think about all this?
1: Uh, I think it's definitely a depending on what side of the fence you're on with this. Um, if, you're, if you're a fan of the Carolina Hurricanes or you're in the Hurricanes organization or organization, depending on uh, what side of the border you're on, um, I think if you're with the Hurricanes, you're saying, well, you know, it's kind of, you know a gentleman's agreement in the NHL that RFAs are kind of off limits. You, you really don't see this too often, like you said. Um, the last one that was that was hit, I believe, was Ryan O'Reilly in 2013. It was the last time that something major like this happened. Um, what I will say though is, um, from what I was hearing, the negotiations with Sebastian Ajo and the Carolina Hurricanes, um, Carolina was very much lowballing him. And, and negotiations, and that's how he able, he was able to hit uh, July first, and um and then Montreal came in and and made an offer sheet, but it wasn't one that kind of blew anybody away or put anybody in hot water. In Carolina, it seemed like they were pretty all right with okay, that's what you want to pay him. That's that's no skin off our nose. We'll sign them, no problem. So. Well,
0: the, the one thing I did miss is that Montreal front-loaded the deal with twenty-one point eight seven million to be paid out in bonuses over the first twelve months.
1: Right. So, so yeah. Obviously, it's a little like uh, it, it sounds. It sounds a lot worse when you break it down that way. So, um if, I, I don't know. It just seems like the owner just kind of was kind of committed to the kind of like the old boys' agreement of you know you leave our, our RFA's alone we'll leave your RFA's alone and um you know Mark Bergevin went out kind of challenged uh the um the front office of the Hurricanes and um may it for all we know it might have been just Mark Bergevin trying to open the uh open the doors a little bit on RFA sh- showing that it's not uh off limits for RFAs um you still have Mitch Marner out there you still have a couple other young RFA is still out there. So maybe it was him kind of breaking the ice for other GMs. And, um, you know, maybe maybe this is just the start of something really big to happen in, in free agency.
0: So one of my questions would be, do you think that this is a legitimate strategy for other teams to try to see how much the the team that currently has the rights to the player on the offer sheets, do you think it's a strategy to see how much that you can get for them, or like whether it's how cheap that you can pay for them. I mean I think this was a way by Montreal to see how much Carolina was looking to pay up and whether this was still a low ball deal or not or in the end was a great deal for Ajo and her the Hurricanes had to pay up more than what they wanted to I still think this is a legitimate strategy that can be used with players on offer sheets and the gentleman's club rule might have to be broken
1: yeah i think it's more of the 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 gentleman's agreement getting broken here um i mean for all he did sign off on it so i guess he he liked the deal but again we talked about it last week i think he was still like like a million million six off what he was expecting from carolina so i don't know if he was trying to pressure them into offering him more or or what his strategy there was but as far as Mark Bergerman, I think he 100% is just trying to kind of break that that glass ceiling and um and just get more GMs to start going after RFAs cuz like we said Mitch Marner is still out there uh for the Toronto Maple Leafs and if you look at their their cap space and everything it doesn't look like they'll be able to get a deal done. So um it's going to be interesting 100% but um I think as far as the, the teams that own these free these RFAs for the time being, for lack of a better term, um, you know, you're you're definitely getting challenged on how much you really value that that RFA, or you or are you just willing to just take the draft picks that come with it?
0: Um. So, a- anything else you got on this?
1: Uh. No, I think that's it.
0: And So let us know what you think. Is this a legitimate strategy that's being used? I know a couple of people commented on it saying that, you know, this was just a way to kind of test the market for that particular player and almost make the the team call their bluff. So um, in the end, I do like what Montreal tried doing here, but Sebastian Ajo will still remain in Carolina. And, you know, who knows? Maybe next year they'll win that title. Maybe. Maybe. Hope not. All right. So there was an extension that happened in the Berg this past week. Jeff, what do we got?
1: So the Pittsburgh Penguins and head coach Mike Sullivan had agreed to a four-year contract extension to keep the uh, the head coach in Pittsburgh. Um, Mike Sullivan uh, does have the acolytes to go with it. He won um, two Stanley Cups here back-to-back, not a big deal. And he also uh, is the first coach since Scotty Bowman to do back-to-back uh, Stanley Cups and the first one to do it in the salary cap era. Uh, Dave, what are your thoughts on this?
0: So this kind of squashes the entire conspiracy theory that we had last week, and that's the only reason I'm disappointed. Um, Now, was there any values that were thrown out there yet on how much he's going to be making per year?
1: I don't think so. I know I've looked in the past, and I don't think the Penguins um, release how much the head coach makes.
0: Okay, so that is part of the reason why I'm not really going to – be super exuberant over this because um, with the four years that w- I guess you could say three and a half years that we've had with Mike Sullivan, it can be a long time, especially with the, the way these players are, have almost been in and out throughout the organization minus Sid Gino and Letang. um You know, mo- most of these players don't really have the, the longest shelf life when it comes to being a Pittsburgh Penguin. I guess you could throw in Hornquist there as well. Um, So when you are committing to a guy like that, I think that you know obviously Rutherford will be out first before Sullivan, especially with this new deal. Now, Um, it can it can be a long commitment, and I think with the players that they've had and the success that they've had recently, you know, if nothing gets done in these first two years, then where are the Penguins sitting when it comes to possibly buying out Sullivan?
1: So I I I think we're very much at this point now that. Um, the GM and the head coach are now married to each other. And I think it's very similar to what Ray Shearer did with Dan Balsma. And you can't blame GMJR for, for this at this point because um, the guys won you two Stanley Cups. He took you to the second round game six against the def, uh, the eventual Stanley Cup champions the year after you won back-to-back Stanley Cup. So um, Mike Sullivan's pedigree is there. Um, but I think at this point now that if things start to go downhill and downhill quick, I think both guys will be out of a job. Um, quite similar to what uh Ray Shiro and Dan Balsmo were. Um so I, I I think that's the only downfall here is is that if you're gonna fire one, you gotta fire the other. Um quite similar to the situation that we talked talked about, but um that's the only negative that I see out of this as far as um as far as the, the positive side, I mean, look what the guy's done in the three and a half years he's been here. Like, he's been a a tremendous coach for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, um, you know, I, I, I like what he brings. I like his intensity. I like how he kind of manages his bench and um, his philosophies. It's just a matter of if he's willing to adjust uh, the way that they play that they can't play like they did in 2016 anymore. They kind of have to maybe reel it back in a little bit and play more a little bit more cautiously than, uh, than they would like to.
0: I think that whenever you bring up the comparison of, of the Biosma and Shiro breakup, that's something that happens at the end of the year where you're going to wait until the Penguins are officially done, whether they're in the playoffs or not. And I think that is the only way that these two can go out. So unless it's, unless it's riding out the sunset or at least – GMJR because of his age riding out the sunset after winning a title. That's the only other way I see riding out the sunset or getting fired for both of these and for both of these guys. And I don't think it's the proper send off for what they were able to do and how quickly they were able to do it as well. Even if it is in the next two years and nothing seems to be going their way. I still think it's not it's just not the right thing to do when it comes to just firing those guys halfway through the contracts because of where they expect to be at that, at that point. And that's only if things really hit the fan. I think,
1: I I think things are going to have to go very, very South, very early in the year for, for, for one of these guys to go. I think they're they're safe this year. I wouldn't, yeah, I I would agree with that. I think they have this year, and then um, depending on how this year goes, is going to depend on how they're looked at um, for the rest of at least Mike Sullivan's deal.
0: Yeah, so I think they're safe this year with this new extension. I think before the extension, I wasn't sure about being safe this year, but now with the four years and whatever amount of money Mikey Sullivan is making, I'm going to have to say that, there both of them the gm and the head coach are safe almost almost no matter what it needs to be a catastrophic season for them to, yeah. for them to go away
1: yeah i w- i would agree with you on that
0: yeah so is that about it
1: yeah i think that's it that wraps up our show i think
0: oh, wow wow we we're, we're getting out of here early today jeff and i'm not really that mad about it
1: no, I'm not mad about it either. We love you guys. We love giving you the content. But there is a Dinger Derby to watch later that uh, I got to get some beers in me and watch that.
0: All right, so let's do our MVPs of the week. And, Jeff, who do you have? So
1: I'm going to put a spin on this. And we talked about this before the show. Um, so the the AL and uh, National League managers um, put out the, the – um, the lineups for tomorrow, tomorrow night's All-Star game. Um, I'm not going to do an MVP this week. I'm going to do an LVP of the week.
0: Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure a, this is our first one.
1: Yeah, this will be our first one. So I'm putting a spin on this. So, so a, a writer who's covering the All-Star game or whatever, I think it was just a random guy, I can't even remember who it was, um, posted the National League lineup. And if, if you hadn't saw, it was, I think Christian Yelich is hitting leadoff. Josh Bell is hitting... Uh, Sixth, and Acuna is down at the bottom at nine. Um, But whatever. So like, in the All Star game, does the lineup really matter? Right? Like everybody's gonna hit. So like, no one's looking to draw walks. You're just go up, rip a pitch, and then let's let's keep it moving here. Some guy on Twitter had the audacity to critique the National League lineup and say Christian Yelich does not walk enough. To, to warrant being the leadoff hitter for the, to, for the National League. And when I read that, I go, buddy, like, what are you – it's the all-star game. Like, he's going to be out after the fourth inning anyways, so they're, they're probably going to put in some, some guy that does warrant a leadoff for, for an at-bat. Like, what are, what are we doing here breaking down the, the all-star game lineups?
0: and you thought we didn't have enough content to talk about. Oh
1: my god, jeez. I I couldn't believe it. Like I go, you got to be kidding me. I showed my one buddy at work and and he he just started laughing cuz I was going on a rant at work about it too. So, uh my LVP or guys that look too much into the All-Star game lineups.
0: Okay. All right, so you're kind of combining the two instead of embarrassing that one.
1: Yeah, it, well, it's it's like just that general general people out there that that do that stuff.
0: Okay. Um Now, I couldn't find the slash line, but my MVP of the week goes to the National League Player of the Week, Adam Frazier, who I do remember this past week batted, oh, 600. And it's not like he only had 10 at-bats on the week. He had 10 at-bats in the first two games against the Cubbies, and he had, let's count it up, nine hits. So in two games, he was batting 900 in those 10 at bats, he slipped a little bit, you know, towards the end of the week. He only had three, he only had one hit on Thursday or Wednesday out of four at bats, 0 for 1 on 4th of July, 3 for 6 against the Brewers, 2 for 4 against the Brewers, 3 for 5 against the Brewers. And he also had seven RBIs on the week, a home run, and I believe eight doubles. And he only struck out once in all of those at bats. So, you know, Adam Frazier for as lackluster of a year he's had it was amazing to see that performance from him this past week.
1: There you go. Dave picking the uh the easy pick of the uh the local boy again player of the week from Major League Baseball. So, Dave not doing a whole lot of work there. Good job.
0: Thank you. It's almost <laughs> as it's almost like my my player, my MVP of the week when Josh Bell got player of the month in May.
1: Yeah, right, exactly. So, Dave working really hard on his MVP or LVP of the week.
0: Yeah, I, I know. You just you just look to complain. I'm looking to give praise out there. <laughs> so, so,
1: all right, is that it?
0: Yeah, that's our show, believe it or not. Um, so, like I said, you can always listen to us on whatever device you're listening on right now, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anything like that. We distribute our episodes through Anchor.fm. There's a donation link in there if there's ever a time you're feeling, you know, like, you want to donate to the charity um, I'm referring to the, us as charity for upkeep of the show um, you know we always love to do this in our spare time but we, we do commit ourselves to other things as well um, also follow us on our personal Twitters at Big underscore Dave 52
1: at J Chris underscore 51
0: like our Lord and Savior Amen like us on Facebook at Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave and on Twitter at Icy Takes all together one word I C E Y. You can catch us next week. Hopefully, we are better than this show. But until then, stay icy, folks.
1: Let's go, Ronnie. How about some dingers today, baby?
0: Uh, All Josh Bell. Ring the bell.